everyone and welcome back to the Incarnation of Interior Life. Um, today we wanted to talk a little bit about memories and one thing that stood out to me from the last episode was um, you said this line when we were talking about our own stories, so our own memories in a sense, and you said, um, our memories contain our whole selves. And I was... I had to like pause in that moment and you you kept talking thankfully <laughs> but I was like I can't lie for a couple moments I was I don't even know if I was fully listening because I was like what does that mean <laughs> <laughs> our memories contain our whole selves and then it kind of came back to me of um even in theology of the body there's this theme of uh, spiritual amnesia and coming back to understanding our true selves and so there was this ringing in my head of like he just brought up <laughs> you know something again from theology of the body and like we talked about that's kind of our it was great to see because it was like an affirmation of even these conversations because it was like it's not like we planned on we're not like every day like how do we incorporate you know the 12 rules and theology of the body in the text we're not that's not really our our goal but it was beautiful to see how it like organically came in there about how you, you brought up the memories. And it was like, for me, it was like, just like that. I was like, Oh wow. That's, that's exactly kind of what theology of the body starts with, like remembering who we really are. And I think applying that into our own lives, um, it, it made me over the next couple of days really sit with that of like, where was I with my memories and, it even made me remember before I even met you how I felt like I met you spiritually <laughs> was through one of one of, one of your works on on kind of memories and taking me through that and heart speaks to heart um, and how it how much it helped me just to in reverence my memories I, I like for the longest time didn't do that and then I went through your book and was able to I love the way you structured it and, and for the audience maybe we'll share um, what I'm talking about, but I love the way you structured just the different years of life. Because mm. um, for the longest time, even when I would think about memories, I would just think in this like very broad scale. But I think it, it really helped me to look at years, you know, zero to three, three to six, and, and onwards, because it was like, oh, wow. Like, you don't realize how much there's little stories within that form you like in different phases and so yeah thank you for that and just I guess this conversation could I, I really just wanted to learn where your heart is at with memories and why that's such a huge part of you know your priesthood and how you walk with people so well we'll go back to that quote uh Abhi, of uh our whole self is contained in our memory. And I'll mm. laugh like I'm, I'm borrowing this from Father Wilfred Stinnison's book, Into Your Hands, Father, mm. uh, by Ignatius Press. It's, uh, I'm not trying to sell the book, but it's just, um, it's one of those books. It's probably in the top three of my life. You know, it's, it's a contemporary version of Abandonment to Divine Providence mm. by uh, De Cousade. But he takes that as a Carmelite and he, um, he makes it very accessible 
And a good portion of the book is about how to have a new past mm. as we receive the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, but every in through everyday events. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I brought the book with me actually today. And I'll just read this. Uh, sure. So where I stole the quote. Uh, uh, so he says, um, he says, uh, He says, gradually the whole memory becomes purified. This is in our relationship with trusting the Father as a little child in everyday events. I think in our first episode I was talking about how my father was full of awe, and though he wasn't a very well-read man, he he did in faith teach us how to look for providence, especially mm-hmm. in the difficult times. So he says... Uh, so all this is in reference to trusting with childlike faith the Father's care for us. He says, we can never overemphasize the significance of having a sound and healthy memory. He says, the memory is often regarded as the least important of the three spiritual faculties, understanding, will, memory. For St. Augustine, it was not so. He considers memory to be the very foundation from which the other two faculties are born. Thanks to memory, I can remind myself that I came from God and I'm related to him. It is memory that enables me to know myself as the same person from birth to death. It's thanks to memory that I know myself to be identical to the person I was 10 years ago my identity is dependent upon my memory. That's really important. That's where I, my identity is dependent upon my memory. My whole life is stored in my memory. And this is like where I paraphrased, you know. And then he goes on to say, you know, invite us to consider like what's filling our memory. And um, I'm not really sure how I, I ended up focusing on this, except throughout the years with spiritual reading and prayer with scripture. Um, I, I came to understand through ordinary conversation and ordinary Christian formation that uh, the liturgy is an exercise of memory. Um, the whole liturgy is engaging our memory so that like, you know, do this in memory of me, you know, the, the, the Jesus's own words at the Eucharist, do this in memory of me. And I'm like, so I guess I'm discovering, of course, and I'm really hoping with a quiet burning desire that all the listeners, like as, as we invite them into this beautiful conversation, just listen to their own memories as we're exploring this topic ourselves um, because it's at the root of baptism one way into the mystery of understanding baptism is that we're baptized into Jesus's risen memory he's like in his in his uh, risen body he has a risen memory and in everyday ordinary life when you think about well, what prayer is, what our relationship with ourselves and in the Lord is, 
if, if baptism is immersion into Jesus's life, the life of his spirit, which it is, then in great simplicity, and this is a little mind boggling, but it, Jesus's risen memory is being poured into our memory from conception until now our memory even formed in the womb you know our memories sensing feeling thinking even you know the formation of thoughts the formation of feelings uh, the formation of desires uh, starts right away it, but then you think oh my goodness like if this is true and it is it sounds like high theology, and, and I guess in some sense it is, but it's very ordinary and simple, too. It's like, okay, Jesus' memory is being poured into my memory, your memory, as we turn to him in everyday events so that our memories receive what he sees, feels, desires, thinks. Um, like when he remembers uh, different passions that we've gone through. We often, you know, have these hurts where we've, um, we move on with life. We learn how to get along in life, but the quiet hurt is still there. Mm -hmm. And we don't like to remember it. We don't like to think about it. But as we open up a hurt to Jesus's memory, because he's already taken all of our pain onto himself, he won't change the event that happened that hurt us, mm -hmm. that, that, that the Father's providence allowed. The Father didn't want us to be hurt, but some, you know, he gives this freedom. And mm -hmm. We start to receive, I guess, one, the truth that he's already taken on all this hurt and pain. So what, what happens to our memory when we receive his memory, like where his passion was our passion, or our passion is part of his passion, back and forth. But his living memory conveys, so what changes are the patterns of thoughts and feelings and desires, how we feel about our bodies. Like our memory has a lot to do with how we feel about our bodies, but. So let's, let's say if, um, yeah try to give a practical example so let's say I, I make an ordinary mistake as a child and I'm I get corrected for making the mistake and um, I become ashamed of making the mistake and I just move on with life but that sort of disposition towards myself just continues unless I know Jesus in a personal way. So this quiet accumulation of every time I make a mistake, if I get ashamed, I can actually, after a while, start to think that I'm a mistake. My identity, the shame starts to quietly build. So like, who am I when I make a mistake? Am I still good? Am I still beautiful? Am I still uh, worthy of love? 
And it's very simple, but without a relationship with Jesus to show me who I am in my true identity, to heal the shame, you know, in other words, I can start to believe like I'm a mistake um, whenever I... I make a mistake. And of course, that's not true. How else do we learn except by making mistakes? It's very human. It's beautiful. It's good. Very few parents and teachers uh, help us to laugh at ourselves and welcome mistakes um, as part of learning um, where there would be a more healthy memory, a more healthy identity. And that's what Jesus restores. I, I'm kind of run, running on here, so I'll stop. But it, it's so uh, how I relate to myself in faith is dependent on, well, even without faith, how I relate to my, myself through my memory um, determines what I think and feel about myself. And so when you add faith as a relationship with Jesus in baptism, the authority of his love, the authority of his memory being poured into us by the Holy Spirit um, actually makes life an adventure and a love affair and a friendship. But for those truths and ideas to be tasted in, in the interior of our hearts, uh, we ha we want to enter into liturgy as an ongoing healing of memories and just everyday faith as an ongoing healing of memories. Because as Stinison says from St. Augustine, um, you know, our whole self is contained in our memory. I mean, and that's why maybe why you, why you liked in Heart Speaks to Heart looking at every three years because every event of every day is really full of God's, yeah. the Father's providence and Jesus is pouring his spirit into us. But usually um, that has to become a simple living reality. A lot of times we get through things, but we didn't, we didn't know that the Father and Jesus were there for us. And, but memory now in everyday prayer opens up opens us up to receive Jesus's memory of let's say a mistake yeah. I think of uh, as you were speaking especially in regards to from childhood those events whether it's mistakes we've done or mistakes done unto us mm. um, I was thinking I think there's this medical book I haven't read it but even the title just like struck me is I think it's called uh, the body keeps score oh yeah and uh, it reminded me of that process of how, I mean, even the theme of this podcast, incarnational interior life, how, how much that is true. So like this medical book, as I understand it, I don't think it's a, a spiritual book, but it is very spiritual in the sense that like, I, I remember even as, Actually, actually, an atheist wrote it, oh. except when you read it, I've not read the whole thing, but mm -hmm. parts of it, it, it's actually, he's referring to a, a force of hope mm. so that you can, for 
you can almost see the search for faith. But anyway, wow. back to you. But wow. it is a one from what I read in it. Has everything to do with what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Cause, I mean, it, it came right to me because I was like, in our memories, as you're saying, sometimes those things happen, we move on, yeah, and we think that means that it's a race, but it's like actually ingrained in our bodies. And That's I think, right. and I don't That's even right. just mean that in like a hyper theological way. I I mean that like experientially. Like I think anyone can look at things that maybe happen now in their life and you get a certain feeling in your body, whether it's like you, you tense up or like you, you actually feel like you're about to faint or whether whatever, like various human experiences. And oftentimes it can be tied back to some trauma, like whether it was quote unquote minor or, you know, whatever, like however you want to categorize it, there is oftentimes something there and we know that in the scientific realm, but as we know that they're they're not contradictory, right? Like we we actually the science affirms what we're saying here that there's something so important about our memory, about our experiences that adds up over time, even if we don't, even if we kind of shove it aside outside of our you know, like momentary consciousness in a sense. That like unless we kind of come back to that in light of of Christ's memory there, that there's there's actually something that's going to remain there and a pain that is being triggered even if we don't necessarily like know what it is at the time. Like I even I even think about with my own memory for me I the the number one thing and I think you know, many people can probably say this when I used to think of memory and I say used to like very recent times when I, it was is pain like that's that's what I like even if I if I just hear memory I hear pain I don't actually hear happiness and that's something I, I don't know if you've you would be able to speak into that or something I was thinking about right before you came was just like how trauma can inflict such a, a like and it, it ingrains a wound that so it's not just that like we have to actively think about it and then we become sad that like there's something like a sadness a despair like deeply ingrained even when we don't think about the actual sequence of events that occurred and I, I was thinking about like does that happen with happy things too now I'm looking at it and I'm like, I think, yeah, I can. Yes, it But does. there's something that needs to be awakened almost. Or like, I don't, I don't know. There was something that I was like, huh. I don't think that's like a, I don't know what the reverse word for trauma is, I guess. But it was like, I was thinking about that because I was like, man, when. Healthy joy. Healthy joy, yeah. like well, he- Health and joy. I've oh. come to com- further complete your joy. Mm. This is the reason Jesus came. Mm. To reveal the Father, to further complete our joy. Yeah. Or to complete it, you know, in this expanding mystery of yeah of the reign of God, of yeah. where heaven meets earth. But and, and I don't so, think people think about that enough. Or I I definitely didn't. Of like, I I genuinely yeah. Like I said, when I heard the word memory or recollection, it was pain. And I I even think about just how much. How many things I, yeah, and we'll go into a little bit later of just how much I 
would intentionally distract myself from memory and think kind of what I was saying earlier, because I didn't think memory could, even in the things that were happy, like I wouldn't feel the happiness in those memories that I was like, I forget about the memories, live in the present, live in the present. And, and that can be a, a good thing, but I was corrupting live in the present into forget about everything before so that maybe now I'll have some happy experience right now. And I was like, man, like, well, there's, there's something wrong there. <laughs> what, what is that that needs to be readdressed? And so, yeah, in the, in the past couple of months, and it, yeah, like I said, it started kind of with heart speaks to heart of where are those, like, why is memory so painful to me? And it's not just like a specific memory. There's that too, but like memory in itself became a painful thing. And I was like, okay, there's obviously something really profound there that needs to be looked into. Yeah, a couple of thoughts are coming to me spontaneously um, as I receive what you're listening, as I'm listening to and receiving from what you're saying. Uh, thank you. I mean, you're laying. It's so beautiful what you're saying. So one of the things that's coming to me, these aren't in any special order, is we might end up spending several podcasts on <laughs> On this topic, yeah. because it's so, I mean, in, directly or indirectly, we will we will be dealing with it, um, because life in the Holy Spirit is dependent upon our memories receiving Jesus's memory, mm -hmm. because He's made His home in us, mm -hmm. the Trinity's indwelling, and so we want the thoughts, feelings, and desires that are Him and us in love together to be ever more the governing our day, you know, ever ever more leading us and, and surrendering to and we want those thoughts, feelings and desires that are full of pain to be transformed, um, or that don't have us have a true self image in him. So that's one. The second is uh in the present moment here I think what you're, the beauty of what's happening is um, just the word memory. The thought and the word memory. What comes up in your heart when you first heard this is just pain. And I wonder for our listeners and talking to myself, of course, like what comes up when you just let yourself think the word memory? And also, like with fun, what comes up in your heart? I mean, good fun, you know, sober fun is like when you think the word mistake. What, how does, how do those two words register in your body? And what comes up in your memory and imagination? Pope Benedict, who we, we, uh, Pay tribute to oh, because the last podcast was on the day of his funeral. I think uh, he says, I'm paraphrasing now, in the first volume of Jesus of Nazareth on the section on purity of heart, he says something like this. Uh, this is almost verbatim, but a little bit of paraphrase, I think. He says, In order to see God in purity of heart, uh, our hearts first apprehend the presence of God. 
in other words, we sense, we apprehend, we, we have a sense of God's presence. And this affective dimension of the soul gives the intellect and the will its direction. So in other words, Pope Benedict's taking us into the beauty and people who are much smarter than me say that he's Augustinian, so I guess that he has this Augustinian understanding of memory. But whatever the case, he's, as I understand it, he's trying to say, or he is saying very beautifully, like what we first affectively, our souls have an affective, are affective. They have the dimension of the soul that first senses the presence of God that will give the intellect and will its direction. And so if I think the word memory, or I think the word mistake, and, and what comes up is some a little tenseness in my body or a nervous, mm. a nervous laughter, which can tend to be with me, um, what do I really think and feel about myself when I remember certain mistakes in life? or certain memories that are difficult. Do I sense my goodness, my beauty in Christ? Do I sense his desire to be with me there and, and uh, assure me everything's all right, assure me that uh, nothing's wrong with me for being poor in spirit, nothing's wrong with me for being vulnerable, um, or do I have to like protect myself you know, from life because of bad memories. Um, but when my memory's strong and healthy and full of joy, um, I start to feel and know that all things are possible with God and, and I don't have to be afraid of the future. I don't have to be so cautious or protective. I mean, prudent, discerning, yes, but... So, and then the last thing I was... I think this, I want to, because your question is so beautiful, um, I do want to read something from Stinnison here so that it's, he, he does it in such a concise way. He says, like when you said, um, when I think of memory, I just think of pain. He says, um, my identity is dependent upon my memory. My whole life is stored in my memory. And then... Addressing your question, I'll be, what is it that fills our memory? Is it disappointments, failures, humiliations? Is our memory filled with bitterness? It's often the case when we just sort of move on with life and we sort of bury all that. And then he says, we understand St. John of the Cross when he states that all the great delusions and evils the devil produces in the soul enter through the ideas and discursive acts of the memory. Like to take us to believe that in our unworthiness we're not, we can't receive him. You know, every day at communion we would say, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you, save but the word of my soul will be healed. Well, I have to trust in my unworthiness that I'm good and beautiful. He wants to come to me. If my unworthiness is filled with memories, I won't really be receiving. I'll be protected and I'll be going through the motions, 
but my interior life. I'll, I'll stay stuck in the unworthiness yeah. and not his healing memory. Unworthiness That's becomes be- shame. Yeah, that rather than... humility, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. You say that again. That is... Worthiness becomes shame rather than a healthy humility. Exactly. Wow. We could almost stop there. Like if the listeners and if we today, like if I... How many times in the penitential rite of the Mass say, uh, let's call to mind that we're sinners... Let's call to mind our sin and prepare ourselves to enter into the sacred mysteries. Well, if my unworthiness, if I'm holding on to shame, I can start Mass from a disposition instead of a humble receptivity and faith. I start Mass with a, a shame-based disposition. And so it's no wonder after receiving the risen presence of Jesus in communion, I feel the same way about myself as I did when I came in. And I ended up just sort of functionally, devotedly as I best know how, praying the Mass. But actually I was not, in my memory, I wasn't allowing his memory to come into me because something in me was closed or not disposed because I'm I'm ashamed of my unworthiness rather than this humble receptivity where there's a joy of like oh I want to be poor in spirit I, I, I know I'm unworthy you're so holy Lord and yet you call me into your own holiness that's a completely different experience of day to day life and day to day liturgy I think and it's all dependent on the disposition of our memories yeah. towards his memory of our sin. Yeah. Let us call to mind our sin mm-hmm. and so prepare ourselves to enter. In. Why prepare? Like mercy scoops out misery. Mercy scoops out uh, and takes it to his own heart, his own memory to give me this joy of like, I can't wait to enter these sacred mysteries and offer you anything that I'm feeling miserable about because you're going to transform it. But otherwise, I could just... Well, anyway, you get... I think what you just said is is uh, quietly revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think it's kind of, it sets up for, for you and I, but it sets up for the listeners a, a real amazing, simple, incisive question of like, What's the disposition of my memory around my unworthiness? Um, am I receptive to his love and joy in his memory of, of my sin? Which is what I, where I forgot to be my true self anyway. Him. You know, image of him. So that's what sin is. I, I forgot who I really was in Jesus. Um, so I want to remember yeah. It's the whole liturgy. It's just remembrance and the Holy Spirit bringing us Jesus' risen memory. I'm <clears throat> repeating myself, so I'll stop. But Stinnison, he does say here, 
um, he says, it's so hopeful, he says, how can God work with us when we wake each morning with a heavy burden that we carry around day after day? Yet it's not necessary to live in this way. All those difficult and heavy things can be transformed and transfigured from within so that they become positive memories filled with light. Instead of remembering disappointments and frustrations, we now can remember how God meets us in our life. And then he has a beautiful quote from John of the Cross. Pouring out a thousand graces, he passed by those groves in haste, and having looked at them, his image alone clothed them in beauty. In other words, he's looking at us in the groves in our hearts, and he sees his image in us, and then he clothes us with beauty. And Stinnison says, he goes on, Father Stinnison, we remember his love that met us in everything, even the most difficult moments. When St. Therese, the little flower, begins her autobiography, she thinks not much of her life as God's mercy, and she hears she is over my shoulder in the, in the background. She says, quote, I'm going to be doing only one thing, I shall begin to sing that I must sing eternally the mercies of the Lord. You know, like she was hypersensitive as a child. I think people know the memory of she overhears her father um, around Christmas, I think, saying something that she misunderstood and took to in a, an overly sensitive way, and she became, uh, she was burdened with this oversensitivity. And as she turns in prayer, she receives healing of this hypersensitivity um, so that she could hear her word, her father's words in the proper context of how they were meant. In other words, her memory in this hypersensitivity was touched by the memory of Jesus around the events that hurt her from her father's words but they gave, they gave a meaning to his words that the hypersensitivity needed to be healed and ordered by love and mercy. Mm-hmm. And so the Lord scoops in and loves her misery. She doesn't have to be ashamed of it. And then balances her whole affectivity. Mm-hmm. You know, and, I mean, she becomes this doctor of the church, but Memories as children are especially important because children have, as children, we have pure hearts, you know. Um, And so we feel things um, with a certain purity. That's why, of course, we end up having to return to be more childlike. And that only happens by a healing of memories. To become more childlike, which means you become more mature as a, 70 year old man or as in your 20s or you become more mature through the the childlike memories return to their purity their original innocence and I can now I cannot be I don't have to be afraid of making a mistake or I can put my father's words that sounded harsh and they weren't intended to be harsh I can or even if they were I don't have to be a I don't have to be governed by 
either my false interpretation or his projected harshness. I, I can be, my identity, my memory will be shaped by, by Jesus' memory of that event. But I have to be willing to remember, he'll take me back to particular events and show me how he was there. And that's what transforms the pattern inside of how I even think and feel about something. I don't know, do you have anything, any stories where like a pattern, where there used to be some bitterness or shame, but now the memory's filled with light? Do you have any? Yeah, I mean, plenty, I think. I think of, um, even as you were speaking, I was thinking of uh, <coughs> Excuse uh, me. a Christmas carol <laughs> where oh. in the movie where he's like taken back into his memories and he's like forced to see like his life. Uh, Scrooge, is, he's forced to see certain aspects of his light, life um, from where he is. And it's not like, I was thinking as you were saying with with Christ going into the memories with Christ that it's not like a substitution in the sense of like you don't have to deal with it and then Christ will kind of go there alone fix the memory change it up and then come back to you and be like okay now you can look back at it because I think sometimes like that's what I would want of like I would give it to Christ but what I meant by Christ, you take it, was like somehow him go back and rewrite the story and then come back to me and let me know when that's done. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then I could... No, actually, you and I relive it yeah. with him, but the key word here is with. Yeah. It doesn't mean that something terrible didn't happen mm -hmm. or some rejection didn't happen, but... We didn't know how to be with him. But now that we know how to be with him in our interior life, we can open up any memory and relive. We, we, have, we need to relive them mm -hmm. with him. We're actually living them anyway. There's just the body keeps score. I mean, we're, your immune system is actually affected by mine too. I'm not saying in the mystery of everything that I mean, science supports this, but also faith actually helps us see more of the mystery of science, too. It's, it goes both ways. Uh, but, I mean, we are living our memories, whether we, whether we are aware of it or not. We need to become aware and acknowledge and relate and receive around what's in our memory, because otherwise we're living... Why am I afraid to read publicly at mass just pretty common knowledge that um, one of the greatest fears is public speaking well, why would I be afraid to be a public speaker if I'm a child of God and I might be an introvert and extrovert it doesn't really matter but to be afraid to speak publicly or to have a voice why would I be afraid except maybe when I tried to speak I was knocked down and I need to be healed of the memory of that hurt. Or maybe I, had, I, 
I didn't believe I had something worth saying, so I just withdrew, which is a kind of sin. Like, I, I, I'm not trusting my own goodness in Jesus, so I just, like, I have an aversion, and I just isolate. Well, I mean, there's thousands of situations in my own life where I'm sure I did that, like where I didn't trust my own goodness so I wouldn't speak. And speech, speaking here could be verbal, but it also could be just your countenance at a meeting. Your countenance in silence speaks. And people know whether or not, whether you're drawn into an argument or how you're with something that's an ideological conflict is pretty much determined by your memory of how you deal with conflict mm. and your own value and your own security, mine too. So that can I be in conflict secure that I'm perfectly loved just as I am? I don't necessarily have a quick answer, but I I can be secure in waiting on the Lord. Well, I can't be secure in conflict if if my memories of conflicts are filled with fear and bitterness. Yeah. So I need to, I, I need, and there's lots of conflict in life, you know, but I, if I know my own goodness and beauty in conflict, then I don't have to react. I don't have to get sucked into other people's projections. But anyway, it's a, it, it, we're living our memories, whether we, are aware of it or not. And so all the more reason that happiness and joy from Christ for us, wherever there's been hurt or pain or um, a lack of relationship with him would, would now be replaced by, by being with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just sort of rambling here. So I'll stop. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, I want to go back real quick to, um, forget who you said said it, but when you mentioned um, he clothes them in beauty. St. John, re- John of the Cross. St. John of the Cross. So I was, right before you said that, I was thinking about what you were talking about with the liturgy and, you know, what came up about um, shame versus, you know, a properly integrated humility. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about even instinctually, I think when we walk through scripture and we see, right, like, again, theology of the body coming in naturally of, of Adam and Eve hiding themselves with the fig leaves. Mm-hmm. And God asks, you know, who told you you were naked? And there was that, there's this idea of being naked without shame. But they were... They were ashamed, and they they clothed themselves with fig leaves. And and I hear in memories from St. John of the Cross, he clothes them in beauty. Mm -hmm. I'm just hearing that, I'm like, I see in in the vulnerability of, you know, all these things kind of connecting where in the liturgy that proper disposition of humility and of vulnerability really comes from a nakedness and we like primarily we're, we're thinking Christ naked on the cross in the context of the whole liturgy. Yes. Directly 
fighting our our disposition to to clothe ourselves with fig leaves but allowing his his nakedness that in that humility and and us to really come he's he's asking us in a sense look recognizing the unworthiness yet still wanting the nakedness and in in us in that approach of nakedness so that he can clothe us in beauty but he can't clothe us in beauty if we're already covering ourselves with fig leaves and shame i know it sounds like a lot of stuff put together like all rambly but i was like just like the imagery (laughs) of that of like for me like that that imagery of like how can he clothe us if we're already like trying to take on that role of covering ourselves with false false things of like false memories in the sense of what what we how we perceive the memories to be how we perceive our identity to be from those memories rather than actually allowing Christ when i think of clothing in this context i'm really thinking of the perception of the memory i'm thinking about like how we, like these perceptions of our memories that we have, how we feel it in our body, like you were saying, the, we're getting sweaty or like a nervousness or a nervous laughter, like these different responses the, that come from a per- deep perception and how Christ comes in and transforms it. And even, even in like the most tragic memories, we can sometimes, like when it's properly healed, I've experienced this recently in the past couple of months where I can finally say like, oh, happy fault, unnecessary sin. And I was like, that did not make any sense to me before, like what that even meant. But yeah. even being able to look back at it, there's so many layers to it because there's memories that we can like look back and say like, okay, maybe in an objective sense, there was sin there. And or we can look back at certain memories and say, okay, there was something deeply hurtful done to us or a a bad mistake we made. But in all of these, even in in where we committed sin. I think that there's something to where. Like I for the longest time would ignore those areas. Like I would look back and. Yeah, maybe we can come back to this of like I would look back at memories where it was like hurt done to me or a hurtful experience. So I could kind of force myself to look back at those and be like, okay, these need to be reconciled or I need to have a different perception on these. But in areas of my sin of like you're talking about mistakes or these different things, I didn't even think I was allowed to, or like that it was well, good what, to look back at those. In a sense. What if, what if I'm interrupting you, but I think there'll be a good flow. And what if we've become confused? I knew I was. What if we're, what if people start to equate mistakes with sin? Mm. Like in that simple interior disposition around humble receptivity or shame, like in liturgy. I mean, I, that can be easily confused, that I think something's wrong, 
when I make a mistake, well, I do need to learn from the mistake, but that's not, not, that's not sinful, right? If I get, if I'm memorizing the alphabet and I forget halfway through and I have to start over again, you know, how do I learn the alphabet that's not, where I'm not ashamed that I made a mistake, that it's part of learning, but you put it in adult. I mean, it's really, if mistakes, if the learning process itself becomes just information to control rather than an adventure into mystery, I can't go into mystery without making human mistakes. The beauty of human mistakes, like an inventor like Edison or who had a... So I want to get back to the first two rules for discernment of spirits you're describing around this theology of the body. Could you repeat the, the, the humble receptivity contrasted to around nakedness with, with the, the fig leaf? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. I think yeah. what stood out to me when you were talking about St. John of the Cross and our own interior disposition was... The, like covering ourselves with fig leaves. So that idea of like us taking control of our experience, our perception, our memory of mistakes or whatever it is in, in our interior life. And we cover ourselves with that, whether we feel it in our body or, it's, you know, wh- however we experience it. And we, we take something, some distraction is how I see it. And we cover ourselves with it. So it's, it's gone. We don't want to face it. Versus, I think, you know what what you might speak about in in terms of a proper disposition, a proper disposition, and a nakedness in a sense, so that Christ can can clothe us in a sense, but not to cover up something shameful. Right. Continue to clothe us in what's mm-hmm. already beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like increase the sense of of us with Him. Mm-hmm. His him having made his home in us, in our bodies, in our spirits. So the first two rules for discernment of spirits are all about, all about disposition. I often joke with uh, seminarians in class, I say, to, or adults on a retreat, or I always say, disposition isn't everything Jesus is. Um, he's the way, the truth, the life, the Alpha, the Omega okay, so we're all here because we basically believe that. Mm. But disposition is almost everything Mm. because if you're not disposed in humility and vulnerability to receive, I, you, we will clothe ourselves with some kind of shield instead of a shield of faith like St. Paul talks about. You know, to... So when, when... when at the beginning of Mass we say, uh, let us call to mind our sins, so prepare ourselves to enter the sacred mysteries. What you just said about Genesis, am I entering? I guess I'm repeating something I said earlier, but it's just so essential and important. I'm talking to myself too, of course, but 
Am I entering with a gladness of heart, knowing Jesus wants to scoop up my misery? In other words, my sin being where I've tried to hold on to my misery and be alone with myself rather than let myself be with him, which happens every day. I mean, I always fall into a self-reliance or an aloneness where I'm trying to fix things or take care of things without relying on him and his deep love and care. I mean, little things, little things that add up, like um, anyway, I'll give an example later, but that the first two rules of discernment of spirits, if I'm disposed, if I'm turned towards God, um, he will to receive, he will always be um, tasted inside my heart as consoling me. And I'll, even where there's sorrow for sin, it'll be a consolation. Sin being where I forgot myself. I forgot that I'm his image. I forgot to receive from him. I want to remember how I forgot to receive from him, right? Let us call to mind our sin. Oh, oh, you're here. You want to scoop up my misery. You want to, like, forgive my sin. You want to remind me that I'm not my sin. That's not who I am. That sin's having forgotten, you know, that everything the Father has is mine, that it pleases him to give me the kingdom, all these things Jesus taught us and teaches us. But if I'm disposed to think, I call to mind my sin, so I put on the fig leaf, and I have a disposition of, of where I'm closed because of the shame, there's something wrong with me, then what will I receive as I pray? Or as I, I will be trying to pray when prayer is not, the effort is to relinquish and receive. Effort to try if I believe that I'm fundamentally bad and not good, then I'll always be trying to be holy. And the word try is a red flag. It's like, um, why are you trying to be holy when you want to grow in holiness? You, you learn to accept in poverty of spirit everything the Father has is yours. And where I don't believe that, there is sin. Uh, there's my unbelief. But we, it's, it's such a mystery as to, um, or how we would judge ourselves and hold ourselves accountable before relying on him. And I say like, um, well, where's Jesus in that self-judgment about my mistake or about um, why am I still holding on to guilt and shame even though I've confessed my sin? Well, that's a deeper sin. Like I'm actually, I'm actually holding on to. I have fig leaf. I'm holding on to guilt and shame. When the Lord's forgiven me, and it's like, oh my gosh, I have unforgiveness towards myself. But that could be refreshing, and liberating, like beyond compare. If I'm first two rules of discernment. If I'm disposed in vulnerability to receive. If I'm fearful, ashamed, controlling towards myself or others. 
I'll go through the motions of prayer, but I won't be receiving. And then I'll, I'll still feel bad about myself. So it's what you're saying is very determinative. I mean, we don't determine God's love and mercy and joy, but we do determine whether or not we participate in it. Um, whether or not we'll be in relationship or we'll isolate our, from him, from his goodness and mercy. So, um, so here's a simple example. Uh, and it's a little embarrassing, so I can, and I can right here on the spot let sure. go of the shame because I know and I do believe that I'm fundamentally good and beautiful only because of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Without him, I wouldn't be able to really taste that. So my first time to Rome uh, and Florence, I remember um, I was on pilgrimage, and uh, so we've all seen pictures of the of the David or the David, Michelangelo's David, the the nudity of David, who has I can't remember if he's wearing a fig leaf or not. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think he is. No, no he's not. And John Paul had all, <clears throat> in the Sistine Chapel had all the. Uh, clothes that we had imposed on the Sistine Chapel had them removed when it was restored. You probably know that from Theology of the Body. Well, so of course I wanted to see this great, I can still, it's in my memory right now. And uh, I'm smiling because like, of course I want to look at this masculine beauty of, of David, one of the great works of art in history. Um, but I'm sort of ashamed of my desire to want to gaze upon the nudity of this great work of art. And I start thinking something's wrong with me mm. for, I guess it gets complicated. Like something's wrong with me for feeling ashamed. Something's wrong with me for the desire to gaze on such yeah. beauty. And of course, in that struggle, um, so I did gaze upon the beauty uh, of, of Michelangelo's work of art for the David, the David. Um, but time went on, and I still felt guilty and ashamed of my desire to apprehend or gaze upon that beauty. Of course, in this healing of memories focus, is the beauty that I see there I want to know inside myself. Mm. And wherever you see true beauty, uh, there's God that pierces our hearts with beauty. And he's showing me that's how he sees me. Do I believe that the beauty I'm beholding actually in another form exists in me? Otherwise, I wouldn't even be able to apprehend it. Like, God's making that possible. In other words, like, real simply, like, do, and it, of course the answer was, well, I believe, help my unbelief. Like, so now there's a lot of freedom to, like, to re, there's the memory. Um, now, how did I receive body shame? I don't know, I think ordinary times of life where, you know, you're just, I I said in the first podcast, there was like a healthy nudity in my family. We all had to share one bathroom. There was a 
a time for privacy. And, but I'm sure there were times that it was uh, both in humor and maybe in correction of, of some serious tone of like, like cover yourself, you know. And um, I don't know, in different ways, I could think of it and pray about it later, but how the body shame came. And I think I had a pretty normal, healthy childhood. I mean, we're not talking about Everybody does suffer trauma, though. Like, you know, there's the trauma of sexual abuse, which is horrific. There's a trauma of war, which is horrific, or a terrible car accident where, you know, I survived it, but I'm still traumatized by the memory of it. Uh, or um, even being someone stealing from me. And it's sort of, it's not so much money that was taken it was i feel i feel violated mm. you know that they didn't you can have the money but you, you violated my person like mm. there's all kinds of now they're like really serious traumas and we and of course we want to jesus is up to dealing with any of that mm -hmm. but i'm talking about the more normal traumas of like uh being shamed in first grade for making a mistake and then taking that to heart or just learning um, how to perceive my body, how to think and feel about my body. Mm. So that like, I'd like to look on the, the David if I go back to Italy with a, a lot of freedom and joy, mm. knowing that celebrating this great work of art and knowing that that beauty exists in me. And I don't mean in some egotistical way, but I mean, where you think you're ugly or where you think you're, there's something about you that's displeasing. Um, this is not the memory of Jesus. or This isn't the, how he first created us, you know? And so anyway, that's a simple example, but where the memory over time gradually was healed of shame to be able to look around uh, on the nudity and art with um, maybe a little flinch still, but very slight, and and actually being able to not have a nervous laughter, but a a beautiful laughter of like, yeah. okay, I want to be humbly receptive here, where before I was kind of closed and ashamed, and only able to receive oh, very little, actually. I love that story. It reminded me of. Uh, in you kind of look. You're looking at the David, but then you're looking down. You're, <laughs> oh my! You know you want to. <laughs> no, I, I think anyone knows that feeling, especially yeah. when looking at, at uh, like nude art, where you're just like, I mean, it's it's the dilemma even in like theological debates of like, is that pornographic or is it beautiful? And it's right. like it goes deep into like the human heart. It reminded me of a story of. John Paul too, and I think he was just a priest at the time. Um, forgive me if I butcher this story to anyone that actually knows it, but I think in his retreat to artists, he talks about um, when, as a priest, he was visiting Rome. Uh, he went to Diocletian baths with all the statues of, like, you know, like nude statues. Uh -huh. And he writes about it was a, it was a really difficult time for him and it was like painstaking to kind of go through all these baths and but or all these statues and he was like in deep awe 
but it's just that line of like he was in deep like distress like as he went through i i i'd like to think that he was kind of experiencing a little bit of kind of what you're describing of like going through and he talks about like with great difficulty he went through looking at these statues observing in great awe and then he remembered like from the perspective of the artists of like how painstakingly they were trying to create in in their painstaking effort to create the perfect body they were seeking the incarnation yes and i was just like (laughs) well like but so you you look at that from the perspective of the artist so in your case you know michelangelo of maybe like not just maybe i think he was experiencing the same thing you were from from that lens of like even in his own experience of his body as a man his own experience of memory and the culture at the time or whatever was developed there that there was this like kind of tension of like how do i go about sculpting this especially imagine when he gets to the genital region of like the tension there (laughs) of like how am i how am i gonna go about this and as yeah and like thank you for sharing that because it was just reminding me of like that that human experience of like that that tension of like should i rejoice in this how should i feel about this should there be a shame and like how many different areas of our life we do that into where it's there's almost a tension of should i even feel tension should i be ashamed why don't i feel shame like these these different things that come in when I when I was thinking of all of that, I was recalling some of my own memories with, I mean, especially in regards to sexuality and in many areas of life where, like, when I came to that place of an initial conversion, I guess, to, to want, of, like, realizing, I guess, the truth aspect of the faith. Yeah. But it recognizing that truth aspect of the faith, the first step that I thought was correct was actually erasing all the memories from before. Oh. You know, of like... Erasing. Yeah, where I was like, okay, this is what, this is how I am to live now. Therefore, I must erase everything from before and not live it. And it took years of realizing that it doesn't work, that not just that I can't, but that I shouldn't. And it's violent. I I can't tell you that. I mean, the amount of times that and so many people are living that absolutely. And and I did in my own way. But go ahead. Yeah. No. Like it's it's crazy. I like. Yeah, I can say this now. Like you're saying, without without shame, because of healing that's been there. How how I knew Christ was seeing me in those moments. I actually, I think, abused like drugs and other distractions more after my conversion to the truth, like understanding the truth aspect of the faith, than I did before. And that, like, I've, in recent months, I've been looking back at it, I was like, how does that make any sense? Like, when I knew it was wrong, I actually abused drugs and other distractions more. And, I, you know, maybe that's not a universal experience, but I think in some sense it can be. When, maybe not specifically with drugs, but I think in 
other distractions that I think I see this so much where, you know, like with myself, where I was trying that, that word you mentioned earlier of trying is always a red flag of, I was trying so hard to live the Catholic faith. I was trying so hard to be quote unquote holy. I was trying so hard to make up for my past life, to erase memories. And those moments where I felt hopeless in that I can't, I can't do it. It was much easier for me, even knowing it was wrong from an experiential like experience in that moment. I would much rather have shut off my mind. So it, it resorted to, to drugs. And like I said, it may not be drugs for some people, but I, oftentimes what I see is, OK, I don't want to face these memories right now. Let me scroll through my phone. I don't want to face these memories right now. Let me, you know, go to the fridge, grab more food than I probably should have. Let me, whatever it is in your own life. Work harder. Work harder. That, that's oh, what, that, oh, man. That's, that's what happens to me. Oh, man. Yeah, that's, I, I that's work, a big one. Turn work into an idol. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, whatever it is in your own life, I, I, I think they're just different forms of a numbing drug. Yeah. And I think, I think, I look back at that and I'm like, how does that make any sense? But then in light of this conversation, it makes complete sense because at least, at least in my time of not knowing the truth about the faith and not understanding it and stuff, there was actually almost more of an honesty of mm-hmm. recognizing my experience incarnation exactly and it's it's kind of like what i was sharing in the last conversation of even my frustration with the church was actually a recognition of human experience with sexuality and uh, and what we actually experienced what i was experiencing in memories and etc it wasn't properly ordered but there was at least that recognition the mistake even that we're mistake looking back being able to rejoice in it but what what went wrong in trying so hard to live out the faith, trying so hard to live out, you know, especially like various moral teachings and praying more, like trying harder to pray more, and whatever it may be. I was suppressing the actual like experience of it all. And there was no question of like <coughs> trying to go back into my memories and seeing where the Lord was there. Because it was like, my idea of my conversion was that this was when the Lord came into my life. We even say that sometimes. Like we hear that in conversion stories and say, this is when the Lord came into my life. And I know people mean that with like every good intention. But I think there's even something like deeply disordered there of like. Before you were in the womb. Exactly. I knew you. Oof. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? And so the integration. I, I mean, we both know what it means when. The Lord came into my life. I became awakened yes, yeah. at this point. But the Lord actually created you in the womb and knew you even before you were conceived and me too. And that's why I think that's why that passage yeah. has such a powerful effect on people yeah. because if this is true, which it is, 
then everything about my humanity is worthy of love. And things that I wanted to erase, not only can they not be erased, but they need this, I don't know, integration is a type of buzzword, but it's, but it's a very beautiful word and it's pure meaning that integral, the, the interwoven, the incarnation woven into our bodies and spirits that are one. That there's nothing human that's not worthy of love. That's a quote from Didymus, one of the early church fathers. I like to refer to that. It, it helps me so much. Um, but we, we decide in our own tribunal of our minds sometimes, you know, what we think is worthy of love. And uh, I think this is why Mr. Rogers was so successful in teaching children and many adults. If that movie that was out a few years ago um, about his life, there's two movies. One's a documentary, one's a... Oh, one with Tom Hanks? Yeah, the one, uh, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Yeah. Um, he would use silence to let memories come up about what we're afraid of or what we're angry about or to meet with <clears throat> of course he was a in the background he was a protestant minister i heard i forget if a methodist or presbyterian and he used to by the way he used to go over to the abbey i heard um the, the abbot was a child psychologist at uh, i believe uh, this is like i'm an oral tradition but at uh, St. Vincent's in La Trobe, they actually have his, in his library, they have uh, uh, his, a lot of his mem mem memorabilia. But he used to go over and pray with and consult with the abbot to, for his shows. Anyway, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but the point was like, whatever was human, the children were allowed to think and feel, and they could bring into the silence and know that what his what was one of his favorite sayings was you're loved completely and perfectly just as you are you're loved completely and perfectly just as you are say oh i'm lovable but no no i'm lovable well what about this jealousy or this greed that's part of where i'm always comparing myself because i'm ashamed maybe well okay yes jealousy is a sin Yes, greed is a sin. But is the desire, if you go into the sin, I could try to bind and cast <laughs> the jealousy and the greed, or I could repent of the jealousy and greed, which I would need to. But if I stop there, if I don't think that the desire for more is actually that the desire is fundamentally good, that the sin just got, the desire just got twisted, yeah. but that the desire for more is how God made me and that I'm beautiful and good right there. Well, then I can love that desire for more and receive the more from Jesus and the Father, Mary, the saints. But if I try to erase the desire for more because I find myself jealous and greedy and comparing myself, well, things will actually get worse. Yeah. 
because I'm not believing the desire that I was given by Jesus as creator is fundamentally good and to be attached to the good, to his, to himself. And then the, there's more every day. Like even in the mundaneness and ordinariness of the day, I mean, I, could, I take walks all the time at night at the seminary just to kind of wind down and have a little quiet time with Mary and and um, I pass by the same buildings, the same trees, the same. But you know what? Through God's grace, they're new every day. Mm. The trees, I see something in the tree uh, that I hadn't seen before. Well, I'm not, isn't John great? Isn't John Horn great? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's Jesus is great. Like mm. he's showing me in the simplicity of the ordinary, like, you don't have to run out and do something new every night. Like, take your walk. Everything is new. It's all the same, but it's new. And, and it's not just a positive thinking. It's, it's reality. Like, I'm recreating right now. I'm not just sustaining creation. I'm making all things new right now. Like, let yourself be in that so that your memory is filled with this joy of everything being made new. Well, I can't receive that if I'm not believing, like Mr. Rogers used to say, that if I try to erase memories or I, or I don't believe that the desire for more, which can get me into trouble with jealousy and greed, and it's not, of course, that's sinful, but if I don't go inside the sin and find out what's good there that needs to be united with Jesus and that actually is already united because of the incarnation, religion will become, I don't know, it, it be, we, forget, we forget who Jesus is in, in our bodies and our spirits. And so religion becomes moralistic or it, or, or, it doesn't become this encounter with Jesus in my humanity and interior life every day. Um, so, yeah, we don't want to erase any memory. We're living our memories whether we like it or not. And the Lord wants to transform every... What, what happens in the Acts of the Apostles? Like, they rejoice because they're rejected for the sake of the name. The points of rejection are points of joy because I'm with him and he's supplying for me. Now that can be a beautiful idea, which it was for <laughs> me for a long time until I surrendered the bitterness of my own rejections where I wasn't loving my poverty of spirit. Now that's an ongoing mm -hmm. repentance where there's new life. But if I'm not, if I'm rejecting myself where others have rejected me because I'm ashamed of my poverty of spirit, talk about pain. Not only do I have the pain of others rejecting me, but I'm not accepting my own poverty of spirit. And that would be the core pain because the other people's rejections can actually be a cause of joy if I'm with Jesus in not rejecting myself, that there's nothing unworthy of, of his love. So 
uh, I don't know. I just saw a documentary on Jasani's life, you know, one of the mm. key movers and shakers in communion liberation. And, and I remember it, him saying in the documentary, he said that someone interviewed him and said uh, about some of the woes of the church. Uh, and he very out of love for the church, you know. He he just said, "Well, sometimes we forget, we forget who Jesus is, and when we forget, there's the memory again. When we forget who Jesus is, all of a sudden we make the church some institutional point of charity or something. Um, not that we're not supposed to do good works, we are, but." It's, it, it becomes an institutional malaise. So he's, I mean, he said it very bluntly and passionately as only he could, but you know, sometimes we forget who Jesus is in the incarnation of our own humanity. Um, so yeah, just want to pray that we, to receive the memory of Jesus risen for everything that's in our memories that not only restores health, like where did I die? Where did I kind of give up in life and then just move on with a modicum of faith? Where did I die without dying with him? Where the death would actually be a place of serenity and joy. Well, lots of places. You know, so Lord, walk me back through my life wherever life seemed to be asking too much and I kind of gave up then I just moved on with life. I, I want to go back to that memory where life seemed to be asking too much. Instead of dying in isolation and then relying on a despairing self-effort, let me die with you now. Mm. And where life was asking too much or seemed to be, and let me be with you in that death. Oh my gosh, it'll be a whole different experience. And I'll taste hope rather than despair. Or I'll taste uh, that I don't have to try so much. And uh, the work and play can go together. Um, many, many times. Uh, this is the healthy, not only a healthy memory, but a joyful memory where we don't have to be afraid of rejection. Um, that fear can paralyze us. Because you're going to be rejected. And so am I. And you just don't want to self-reject. <laughs> and you don't want to reject Christ. But, um, yeah. Big stuff. Yeah. No, it's, I'm like, in a, in a very good way, I was like, man, I, I didn't even get through so many of the points. And I'm glad because I'm like, that speaks into the depth of yeah. this topic, that there's so much to it. One thing that I kind of wanted to ask you before we wind up is, I mean, and we'll share some, you know, reflection questions in the description or passages or something, but I wanted to ask you uh, if you could speak into, as we wind up, just if somebody were to to listen to this um, and just ask the question, and I think rightfully so, of like, okay, I've heard all this and it all sounds great, but like, what do I do? Like, 
yeah, I guess what what would you say to that in terms of like, okay, if somebody was like, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to, you know, go to adoration or sit down in prayer, whatever it is, what do I even say in my heart? Like what, what is the, you know, we spoke a lot about disposition. It's like, what are the words you would put to that? Because, yeah, I guess what I'm asking you is like, how do we take this from the abstract? Yeah into like what is something somebody yes. could take to prayer and and really ask the lord to come into their memories so that rather like we talked about that it's not so much informative but it can become performative for somebody well that's a great question and i'm gonna look at my bible here in hosea very practically someone can i just have to make sure i have the right verse Chapter and verse in Hosea. Hang on a second. Yeah, so very practically. Go to Hosea chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 4. When Israel was a child, I loved him out of Egypt. Out of Egypt I called my son. The more I called them, the farther they went from me, sacrificing to bows, like idols, and burning incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught them, Ephraim, to walk, I who took them in my arms, I drew them with human cords, with bands of love. I fostered them like one raises an infant to his cheeks. Yet, though I stooped to feed my child, they did not know I was their healer. So I would pray with Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, and I'd ask the Holy Spirit, Jesus and the Father, however you would like, just walk me back through my life and show me how you were with me in the different events of my life where I didn't realize that you were, were with me and you were carrying me and you were, and show me how you want to be my healer. Like show me that intimacy of how you were with me in all the events of my life, especially where there was a deep disappointment or rejection or hurt and um, for whatever reason whether others were rejecting or I was rejecting myself so just and to pray with that and memories will surface and then they can be relived with with Jesus mm -hmm. and that will make that that activity of love receiving Jesus there we could talk about and and you can journal about if you're listening and because God is faithful and, and he'll walk you through these memories and and there'll be more joy yeah and I think one thing that I would add to that not necessarily add but one comment I got um, was kind of what I was talking about earlier, but like I only remember major trauma 
uh-huh. not really happy things or, you know, maybe not even, I don't really remember a lot at all. I feel like I have some, don't really remember a lot. One thing I'd say is like the goal of this is not to write like an instant autobiography. Right. It's to like let the Lord reveal to you areas of your life that he wants to and slowly in the the context at a practical level of over time like the different memories will be revealed and allowing the lord to come in there like you were saying like you were praying to to invite him there i think otherwise we step into a, a really unhealthy and then it's just taking control again of like I need to recall this and that memory so that Jesus can come there and yeah. do that. But if I don't remember the memory, then nothing's happening. I'm doing this wrong and I'm trying, and but it's not working. Thanks for saying that. But it's like, no, like it's the same problem, just in a, a different way now where you're, you're trying too hard to make something happen. That's not the goal of it. And I, I remember as I was going through Heart Speaks to Heart, I had to stop myself because I was doing that. I was like going through the timeline. I was like, I can't remember three to six. Like I can't yeah, remember yeah. that. Right. But it was like it came eventually. But yeah, like, well, okay, I'm just doing the same thing again. Yeah, shame, shame takes us subtly. We don't even know to make a project out of ourselves <laughs> that we're not loved completely. We don't yeah. believe we're loved completely just as we are. And so we start trying. Mm-hmm. Almost, you know, and I fall into it regularly. I want to pray a prayer from Heart Speaks to Heart that maybe says what you, for the present moment, for all the the glory of the human messiness that we've talked about and and what's ever come up in the hearts of the the listeners, maybe we could. Yeah, that'd be great. I think that would be a great way to close off, too. Do you think so? Yeah. Yeah, I Rather than talking about something, mm-hmm. although I feel like we've really invited people into the present moment that we weren't just talking about lecture points, but inviting everyone into, inviting all of you into uh, into the beauty and messiness of our own conversation here. Mm-hmm. And that's the trust of glory, God's incarnational glory being in human messiness. It doesn't have to be scripted. Um, and the power of that kind of pedagogy, that kind of conversation, um, is really where we just open ourselves to the Holy Spirit. So here's a prayer that I pray for me and myself and for all of our listeners. Dear Jesus, I ask for a new depth of the gift of faith so that I can receive your healing love for me. Take all of my thoughts, feelings, and desires in every event and every relationship of my life and unite them to your burning heart of love. I repent of any way in which I have held on to them and do not trust that you were with me in them. Redeem and regenerate my heart with the thoughts, feelings, and desires that are abiding in your loving heart, in your memory. And help me to see, taste, touch, smell, and hear your Holy Spirit's presence 
because I believe that you desire to guide me and love others through me each day. Amen.